Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. Today, we're going to be talking about some recently released economic data from Uncle Sam and how that could be impacting the commodity markets with Mike Guzolo of Global Commodity Research and Analytics here in just a moment. And then we're going to get into some other issues. The Oklahoma wheat crop is struggling. Dr. Rob Johansson, the Director of Economics and Policy Analysis at the American Sugar Alliance, will join us in segment three. And then we're going to end with a conversation about lubricants with our friends from Senex. Before we dive into all of that, however, let's take a look at what's moving in the markets. We were down overnight pretty consistently across the grains, but as we pulled into the day session, a little more buyers have come to the market. Joining us now is Mike Zuzalo. And Mike, what's changing the, the sentiment here in the commodity markets this morning? You know, I think the CPI data that you referenced, the consumer price index, Mike, has, has changed the focus a little bit back towards the trade realizing, feeling more confident that maybe the Federal Reserve is in a pause mindset in June and maybe even in July because those numbers, while still elevated, came in underneath some economic forecasts. And in fact, the uh, CPI uh, kind of looking at the mercantile interest rate futures, trying to get a gauge of what the trade is trading. Um, they went from about 80% likelihood to a pause to 90% chance uh, in June after the CPI numbers came out. That took the dollar down, took the bond yields down, and that seemed to bring in a little bit more risk on attitude, uh, especially in the row crops as we continue to figure, try and figure out where we're at in the planting game. Mike, as this threat of inflation hopefully continues to drop across the economy, is this going to encourage that managed money to avoid commodities since they no longer need it as an inflation hedge? I think it's too early to say that. I think at the, in the short term, no would be my guess, Mike, because I don't think we're dealing with a recessionary mindset yet in the trade. I think most, including me, that do private analytics and their own researcher thinking uh, that the quarter that most likely will get recession is the third quarter heading into the fourth quarter. That's probably where the deflationary mindset will come back in and deflationary mindset, meaning let's get out of some commodity longs at this point. But so far, given the debt ceiling issues, given the fact that the Russia-Ukraine war is still going on and given the trade relationship between U.S., China, and, and Russia and all these other countries that seem to be getting, you know, more disparate or more disintegrating kind of, um, I think the gold stays strong, the silver stays strong for the next 30 to 60 days. And that kind of blends into the, my hedging mindset for the grains and livestock to take advantage of weather supply led rallies and, and take advantage of that through hedging, especially on paper. All right, Mike, that certainly makes sense. And I'm glad you brought up the CPI report, but that wasn't the only economic data highlighting uh, national health. We also had a report you've been digging into on Chinese imports. Mike, we've had concerns about how that economy would reopen after COVID. Do, do the import list give us any indication of how things look in China? Yeah, it's not as good as we wanted it to be after the zero COVID policies were let go of by the Chinese government, Mike. And I think this is a huge piece of the puzzle when it comes to what we can look forward to in the grains and the meats to a lesser degree is that the April soybean imports from into China, for instance, were around 7.3 million tons. That was down 10% from April 2022. We're still up year to date. But I think what we're looking at at this point is instead of China being a demand bull in terms of buying extra, unless we have more weather problems around the world, it's going to be probably less so that they buy more from us like they used to. Uh, in, in the coming months and, and maybe even the coming marketing year or two. And so they're more of a demand bear in my analysis. And it, I think that makes sense, especially given those corn cancellations earlier this week that, you know, kind of sent the corn market reeling after the news. Indeed, it did, Mike. And the other thing that I know you have been keeping an eye on, and it's something we've been talking about quite a bit here on AOA, is this wheat market. You highlighted some issues developing in Europe that uh, really we ought to be paying attention to. What do you notice in European wheat? Yeah, I mean, the EU wheat market is not reflecting what's happening in the United States. It's not reflecting what's happening in Spain, where Spain is looking at one of their worst droughts in about a century. Spain and when what's going on in southwest Kansas and northwest 
uh, Oklahoma are not unsimilar. You know, we're talking about historic situations uh, in some cases. And I think that's where the EU market is more focused upon the Black Sea and how much more Russia can get out in the weed. And we just made another multi-month low to the point where we're down to levels not seen since around August of 2021 in that Black Sea market. I think bottom lining it out, Mike, that's the one that's got to bottom for us to get a soft red wheat low. But is that going to happen from a USDA report on Friday and a lower yield? That's kind of what I'm betting on at this point. How much lower are you expecting to see on Friday's USDA report, Mike? Yeah, great question. You know, we're at 49.5 million acres. I have no problem with that on total wheat. We have a lower harvested acreage already built in by USDA back in their February numbers. I think they're right on there, but their yields at 49.2 coming out of the February baseline. That's up 6%. That's a linear trend line yield. I think it's more like 42 and it could be below 40 just because we're at the lowest crop ratings in hard red wheat since 1996. And we know Kansas is 20 plus percent of the total wheat crop. And I think Oklahoma, Texas, Nebraska, you throw all those in there too. I think we're going to be sub 40 at some point in national yield. We'll see if USDA dials that down in this May report with those first 23, 24 numbers. Mike, given that that HRW right now today, we're down 10, 11 cents here ahead of that report on Friday. Is the rest of the trade in disagreement? Do they think we're going to have the wheat on this Friday's USDA crop? Or crop? I, I think they may, but I think also we also saw that we had a little bit of rain in Kansas and a lot more rain in Nebraska, and it, and it helped a lot, I think, suits some of the nerves. But I'd also point out that hard red soft red spread in the may may is hit two dollars and 76 two dollars 76 cents premium to the hard red wheat the previous tops back in 2011 2012 we're at a buck 45, Mike. So we're way above where we've been before in terms of hard red minus soft red. So I'm inclined to think we're just seeing some profit taking in that market because of some rain showers. All right, Mike, let's think about some other crops here that could be impacted by Friday's USDA supply and demand reports. Corn and soybeans, we've got that expected large safrina crop coming down in Brazil. Do you anticipate any big adjustments to their uh, production this year? Not yet. I think that's a big deal, though. I think that I just was on the phone and on a text with a South American colleague, and uh, we do have some issues in Paraná still. Mato Grosso could be some issues developing, but probably not something we're going to look forward to in the May WASDE numbers. I do think Argentina, though, is still worth looking at as we get these numbers out on Friday, Mike. Any other concerns here on the soybeans? Could we see South American production shift at all? Yeah, I mean, this is where the front end premium in both corn and beans, um, the question I have right now gone into Friday's numbers, because it is the May report and we do get the new crop numbers, is this premium in the corn and beans justified or do we follow soft red wheat back to a carrying charge market? And I think that's where look at the May D's corn spread at a buck 25, July Nove bean spread at a buck 60. I think the front end is correct because the cash market is more correct. But if the wheat doesn't shift the trade perception on a lower all wheat yield, I think that's where I'm going to prepare clients for some more correction in the beans and corn. And we do adjust closer to a carrying charge or contango market. And I think that's where paper positions, I think, on weather issues especially, paper positions probably better to look at, in my opinion, than, than hard new crop cash sales. All right, folks, keep an eye on that wheat number this Friday. Could be a bellwether for market sentiment. We've been talking with Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Research and Analytics. Stay with us. We'll have more AOA when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. On the first Wednesday of every month, our friends from the National Corn Growers Association join us here on AOA for a segment we call The Monthly Grind. This month, we spoke with Sarah McKay about Consider Corn Challenge 4. We've had three today, and these are open innovation contests that 
really look to establish novel uses for corn. So think bio-based materials, products, and technologies that can utilize corn that don't currently today. So we're really looking at placing uh, things like petrochemicals, products that can be more environmentally friendly, but also grind more corn. This year, the challenge is actually up to the prize pool to $250,000 for our Consider Corn Challenge for winners. Cool quarter of a million dollars, Sarah. That's impressive. Tell us, where can folks go to learn more about the Consider Corn Challenge? They can visit our website at ncga.com slash new uses. Feel free to, to reach out to me at mckay at ncga.com. And I'm always happy to have that conversation or come even speak to grower producer groups about the work that we're doing here at National Corn. Tune in on June 7th for the next monthly grind right here on AOA. At YMCA Summer Camp, Kids find their why. Friendship and fun, a world of adventure beneath a golden sun. Running, laughing, full of wonder. Being themselves is second nature. Summer camp is where they begin to unlock the confidence that lies within. When kids find new passions, they find their why. Summer camp season starts soon. Learn more at ymca.org for a better us. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. We 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 are are the the foundation foundation fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for making AOA part of your day here today. Mike Zuzalo there in segment one brought up an issue that we have not talked about very much on the AOA radio show. We talked about it briefly yesterday with John Baranek. He brought it up again today, and I'm glad that he did because it is in the news. The story that Mike mentioned was the drought in Spain. We've talked a lot on the program about the intense drought impacting the southern plains here across North America. We've discussed in last year the intense drought that that sat in over the Mountain West in California, Utah, Nevada, and Arizona. Some of those uh, drought areas are on going. Well, the current drought happening in Spain, as Mike mentioned, is just about as severe. And in fact, it is prompting new approaches to water management in that country. It is prompting a much closer look on how water gets utilized in Spain. And yesterday, on Tuesday, the Spanish Civil Guard, their federal police force in Spain, they have an environmental crimes division, and they announced yesterday they had arrested 26 people in raids on illegal wells in the Andalusian region. Uh, This is coming down as record-breaking temperatures in April hit the region of Andalusia, and it's worth remembering Andalusia is one of the world's most important places for olive oil production. The situation across Andalusia, this in the northeastern part of Spain, means that the national water reserves for the country of Spain have dipped to 48%. April was Spain's driest ever in recorded history, and currently 27% of Spanish territory is either in the drought emergency or the alert category. And what's uh, frustrating for agricultural producers across Spain is much of this drought is in those key crop growing regions. Folks in Spain, Spanish resources or Spanish uh, regulators rather have been working to manage water more closely. And as a part of that, they are cracking down on farmers who dill, drill their own wells or boreholes in order to secure water. And now they are starting to prosecute 
those growers. So keep an eye on the situation developing in Europe, both on the drought side and also on the policy side. European governments have been very quick to announce new policies, both related to climate change, which we'll talk about with regard to the Netherlands here in just a moment, but increasingly also cell-cultured meat. Uh, back in 2020, we saw Singapore be the first country to issue a federal approval of some cell-cultured meat products. We've seen the USA here over the past six months greenlight two different animal proposals here that have been cell-cultured meat. None of them are at the commercial stage as of yet. But innovators around the world are working in this segment very diligently, and it's raising the ire of folks connected to animal agriculture, both in the United States and globally. Well, the Italian government might be one of the first governments to make a move to ban cell-cultured meat in their country. Ag Minister Francesco Lollobrigida described cell-cultured meat as a slush and he said it could never replicate the taste of animal proteins. He went on to say, quote, we reject the idea of standardizing products, making them all the same in laboratories and erasing our culture tied to the land. He went on to introduce a bill that would ban the uh, approval of cell cultured meat for food and animal feed. Italy would be the first country in Europe to put a ban like this into place. It has not yet passed through the uh, the Senate, or excuse me, the Italian federal regulatory policy quite yet. It is expected to be introduced for debate later on this week. Currently, Singapore and the U.S. are the only or few of the only countries that have greenlit cell-cultured meat production. Yesterday on the AOA show, we talked about the earnings report from Tyson Meats and the massive swing that Tyson has seen in profitability, notably from their beef sector. Uh, one of the most compelling phrases in that uh, Tyson Foods quarterly earnings report yesterday was that earnings in the second quarter of 2022 for the beef sector were $638 million. This year in that same quarter, those earnings were $8 million. That's a drop of $630 million in Tyson's quarterly operating income. It's tough times to be buying cattle from the American farmer at record prices and then trying to sell those that beef to the American consumer. However, it is a good time, it would appear, to be selling machinery to the American farmer. Earlier this week, we had the quarterly earnings report from CNH Industrial. Case New Holland, of course, CNH Industrial. And unsurprisingly, they raised their full-year revenue forecast. They note that operating profit has topped expectations in the first quarter. It's been aided by a strong order backlog, notably, and resilient demand for large tractors. Now, immediately following their report, shares of CNH were up about 2 2 0.3%. Uh, that strength has continued because the company not just was looking at agriculture. They increased their revenue outlook for all industrial activities to between 8 and 11%. Prior to this, they were forecasting an increase of 6 and 10%. They note that their excitement is cushioned on farmers' solid income. Their profits are remaining strong, even as commodity prices come down from their peaks a year ago. And KCNH believes farmers will be able to cash in on the elevated wheat and soybean prices, which they note have fueled purchases for new and used machinery. CNH Chief Executive Scott Wine said in a quote, the high horsepower and cash crop markets continue to be very strong. And he noted that uh, equipment manufacturing was reduced during an eight-month-long United Auto Workers strike, and CNH is still working to catch back up with some of the demand that was deferred during that strike. Looking down to South America, we've talked about that massive soybean crop that Brazil has produced this year. It is a big crop both because yields were strong as that tremendous La Nina-inspired drought has faded in that country, but also because soybean planted area was larger. Brazilian soybean growers have had ample incentive to put more beans in the ground, and they're doing that across the country. And that's got new president, Ignacio da Silva, uh, somewhat concerned that we could see these expansions taking place in the rainforest, the Amazon rainforest, which he has pledged to protect. One of the companies currently under fire for allegedly sourcing soybeans out of Amazon country 
is Cargill. Cargill is one of the biggest soy traders that sources beans from Brazil, and they are currently being sued by Client Earth, a defense, or excuse me, an attorney-led group that's focused on using the law to improve the environment. And Client Earth said they want to hold Cargill, quote, accountable under international standards in relation to its deforestation footprint. Their big concern is that Cargill, despite being one of the leading soybean buyers in the country of Brazil, they are not putting in apparent safeguards to prevent them from buying soybeans that were produced in deforested regions. And that means that uh, those soybeans can't be considered, quote, clean under the Brazilian soy purchasing scheme. Now, this group, Client Earth, is hoping to see this move forward into Brazil. They are planning to sue them in Brazil. And Cargill, however, has come out and they've said they are committed to ensuring soy from, uh, they are not buying soy from the Amazon or the Serrata biome. And they're working to certify their soy is, quote, deforestation free by 2025. And then they want to eliminate deforestation practices by 2030. Client Earth says, all right, show us how you plan to do that. We'll continue to track this could definitely change the way that grain moves out of that country. And another country where grain movement is being impacted, of course, is Ukraine. Mike Zuzalo talked about the focus that European traders are putting on the Black Sea wheat region right now. And it's not just because those growers are watching those spring crops go in the ground. It's because on May 18th, the Black Sea Grain Export Corridor is expected to end. Negotiations are happening right now for the ability to extend that. As a reminder, that Ukrainian excuse me, Black Sea export deal allows grains and other goods to be exported from three Ukrainian ports under a deal where those ships are then inspected by Turkish inspectors to ensure they're not smuggling anything out of the country. Now, the Russian government has threatened to quit the agreement on May 18th unless the world goes to meet their demands. But the Ukrainians are saying... Call their bluff. Uh, Ukrainian uh, ag minister came out and said yesterday, quote, we do not envisage any apocalyptic scenario due to a million circumstances. Ukrainian farmers and Ukrainian traders have shown that they can do a lot and a lot of export routes can be laid. There are several scenarios that will be involved in the worst case scenarios, he said, giving no more details. It would appear that the Ukrainian growers are working right now to find new ways to get those grains out of the country. And it is going to be a struggle because we continue to see Eastern Europeans put pressure on Ukrainian farmers. They want to block that grain from moving into Poland, Hungary, Slovakia, and et cetera. It's bringing down local prices, but it sounds as though the Ukrainians are committed to getting those grains out and onto a global market where they are needed. Real quick, before we take a break here, we do have an update from the Farm Bill. The House Committee on Agriculture recently announced a new Farm Bill feedback form. You can log on to agriculture.house.gov, and right there you can click on the 2023 Farm Bill feedback form. You can fill out your first name and a first and last name and email address where you live, and then you can send in your thoughts on this new Farm Bill. House Chairman G.T. Thompson said he wants to hear from growers across this country as they're right now taking thoughts on how to improve that 2023 bill. Folks, stay with us here on AOA. When we return, we're going to dig into something sweet, the sugar industry with Dr. Rob Johansson, the Director of Economics and Policy Analysis with the American Sugar Alliance. Stay here for more AOA when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Please be silent as the runners take their marks. And looks like one plant has already pulled into an early lead because it's been enhanced with Biopath, a biological fertilizer complement from the Mosaic Company. Wait, wait, and the early favorite has crossed the finish line. Get the most out of your fertilizer investment. Don't forget to add Biopath to your early season application. Talk to your retailer about Mosaic Biologicals today or visit cornsprint.com. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. 
You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. Formal negotiations finally started in Istanbul today to extend the Ukraine grain initiative with all parties present. The objective is to extend the initiative, but Turkey also wants to negotiate a detailed safe evacuation plan for Turkish merchant ships and their crews who are stuck in Ukrainian ports, along with many other ships and crews. Russia did restart inspections of ships yesterday, but only specifically designated ships leaving Ukraine while still not inspecting any new ships to go to Ukrainian ports. Now, on a related note, China will host the first China Central Asia Summit next week involving countries key to its Belt and Road Initiative, primarily in Central Asia and former members of the USSR. China sees its investments in these countries as critical to its economic and military security at a time when the United States is strengthening ties with Japan, the Philippines, and South Korea. Now, these latter countries are moving away from China towards stronger cooperation with the U.S. while strengthening their military presence in the region. Grain and oilseed traders, though, are increasingly focused on Friday's big USDA WASD crop report. This will be the first crop report that officially has USDA's estimate for the new 23-24 marketing year. We expect USDA to use corn and soybean acreage from its March 31st survey results and yields from its February Outlook Forum estimates. Now, the supply side is largely known for these crops. It's wheat production estimate that will be based in part on actual field surveys of the winter wheat crop. The hard red winter wheat crop, the largest class of wheat, was devastated by drought this year. However, the primary focus will likely be on USDA's demand estimates. It's going to have to justify significant growth in corn and soybean demand to prevent notable increases in domestic corn and soybean stocks. That may be difficult to accomplish with expanded South American production as we shift into the El Nino growth cycle in the coming months. Crude oil is down almost 2% and the VIX is trading just above 16. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues here today, and our topic next is a sweet one. We're talking sugar. Dr. Rob Johansson, the Director of Economics and Policy Analysis with the American Sugar Alliance, joins us next. And Rob, thank you so much for joining us here today. Hey, Mike. So good to be with you again. Before we jump into the economics and the policy of sugar, Rob, a lot of us here across the, uh, the heartland of this country don't grow sugar. It's kind of a mystery crop for a lot of folks. Can you fill us in on how this commodity is produced and where across this great country? You bet. Yeah. So we've got um, both uh, sugar cane and sugar beet production in, in America. Not, not that many countries have both crops. Uh, we do. We have um, sugar cane being grown in Florida, Louisiana, and Texas. And we've got sugar beets being grown across a number of states, uh, pretty much on the top tier uh, of the United States. So Michigan, Minnesota, North Dakota, Colorado, Nebraska, Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, uh, Oregon, and California. So, uh, and we have some refining as well. We got some refining um, that occurs in uh, Georgia, for example, California, Maryland, and, and New York, that's also producing refined sugar from imports. So um, America produces, you know, between 70 to 75 percent of uh, the sugar we consume, either sugar cane or sugar beet, and that's about half and half. And then we import about 30 percent, 25 to 30 percent of our 
uh, sugar in raw form for the most part and refine that into uh, you know, the table sugar that consumers see um, at the grocery store and on the tables uh, at the cafes. All right. Well, I know I do my part to support the sugar industry. I'm a big sweet tooth person, Rob. But I'm curious, as we look back over the past couple of years, we have seen the food industry really just hit hard by different factors, COVID and supply chain issues. And let me ask you, how have sugar prices held up for producers domestically over the volatility of the past few years? Well, that's a great question. As, as everybody knows uh, and has probably been watching um, and experiencing at the grocery store, prices have been uh, rising uh, with inflation <clears throat> coming out of the COVID pandemic. Um, but the one thing that we're, we're proud of in, in the sugar industry here in America is that we have a really strong supply chain. So um, what we like to note is that, you know, when, when that first um, shock hit, you know, consumers, you know, they shifted a lot of their purchases from food, um, maybe, uh, at, you know, at hotels and restaurants uh, and the like to uh, grocery stores. So, you know, at the beginning of 2020 there, we saw a pretty big shift in demand for all commodities and for sugar, it, um, our companies, you know, uh, pivoted and moved um, essentially uh, the equivalent of 50 million uh, four pound bags of sugar um, away from, you know, industrial production into grocery store purchases, which is what, you know, all the American households were doing at that time. Um, and so we do have this strong supply chain, which did help make sure that we had adequate supplies um, for for our food companies uh, that purchase our product to make their products, but also for the American consumers. Um, and then, obviously, coming out of out of the pandemic, consumers have returned um, to their purchasing habits uh, from before, which is um, they're moving back to going out uh, for dinner and to the uh, going to sports events and to concerts and on, on trips. And so we're seeing a lot of those consumer purchases going back to um, sort of pre-COVID patterns. And, you know, our companies are, are positioning sugar so that, you know, all those food companies have the sugar they need to, to make those products. Um, you know, a lot of new beverage products have come out that use sugar um, since uh, over the last couple of years. And similarly, at the grocery store, we're also seeing um, uh, plenty of supplies, uh, but you know, consumer demand at the grocery store is is now going down a little bit. So, in terms of prices, you know, we we look at that um, across you know across the country and uh, and over time. And you know, right now, what we see in the grocery store, just like all commodity commodities, we've seen sugar prices um, go you know come up with inflation. Um, when we look at it across, you know, right now, I think uh, sugar is about 80, 85 cents per pound at the grocery store. That's up, um, you know, from, you know, the high 70s uh, from last year. But if we look back over time, Mike, uh, which we do, you know, we look back 10 years or so and sugar prices have been pretty flat over that whole time period. So, yeah, they are up a little bit right now, but by and large, um, at least the American consumer really probably hasn't seen that much change in sugar prices uh, over the over the past decade. Yeah, that is a really good point, Rob. As I take a look at sugar futures out there in the markets today, it certainly appears as though this market is screaming higher heading into this summer. Does the industry have concerns that we might not get all the acres planted that we need to see for this year? Well, I think you're, you know, you, you were just talking in your previous segment about the planning intentions report and, you know, sugar is um, planted across those northern states. So it is a late planted crop. So a lot of producers are, are well, they're getting into the ground now, just uh, like they are with other crops for the for the sugar beets. Um, sugar cane, by the way, is just finishing its its harvest down in Florida. Um, but yeah, I think uh, what, what producers are looking for is good, you know, dry weather, uh, warm weather to, to, to dry out those fields so they can get some field work done. And we are seeing over the last couple of weeks, a lot of uh, states really put in those beet acres. So ultimately, I think I'll wait until we see that June uh, acreage report before um, we can really do a, a prediction on um, what the size of the crop's going to be. Obviously, USDA on Friday is going to put out their first estimate for the year. Um, in fact, Last year we had really slow planting weather, but a lot of comp a lot of uh, um, you know, farmers went out and planted beets late. There was a little bit of a worry that that might cause a yield drag, but ultimately um, it's looking like we might see um, a record crop uh, in the U.S. for this past season. Um, obviously, producers are always looking for a record crop going forward, um, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll get some good weather up 
up in the northwest, uh, you know, the northern plains and get some of that that land right out. Um, just to touch on your point about futures prices, yes, we are seeing relatively high um, uh, futures prices in the world market as well as the domestic market. Ultimately, there's a lot of supply issues outside of the United States right now, um, ranging from Mexico all the way to India, Thailand, and China. Big, big sugar producers. Um, they're expecting to see uh, lower production this year. Brazil is actually having a fairly decent year, or expected to, but they're also having some issues getting their their product out, um, as they always do with their road structure and ports in Brazil. So, I think the the world market is is a little concerned, and you've seen those world futures rise. And usually, what happens is that pulls up the domestic futures as well. So, um, ultimately, that's what we're seeing. And I know I know farmers are uh, eager to get out there and uh, and get that crop planted, but um, uh, and we are seeing progress. So that's what we're watching and we'll see what uh, USDA puts out on Friday. And then of course, uh, in June with the, uh, the acreage report. Lots of data yet to come. Uh, Rob, while we're talking here, sugar producers deal with a lot of federal oversight. Of course, you've got the traditional ag oversight. They deal with just like any other grower, but then they're selling into the, the food ingredient market. So you've got that kind of oversight. From a policy perspective at the American Sugar Association, Rob, what's on your mind here as spring heats up? Well, as you noted, there's a lot of, I mean, right now it's spring. It's a time when we like talking about, you know, just the basic supply and demand situation, um, prices and what's going on globally. Um, but as you note, I mean, it's a really busy time policy-wise as well. Um, there's a lot going on in Washington. Um, everybody from all, all the farm groups are, you know, discussing what their thoughts are about the farm bill. You know, we're in a farm bill year, of course. Um, and for the sugar program, uh, usually, you know, um, we we pretty much rely on the loan program uh, as the main uh, fundamental uh, program that helps sugar uh, producers across the country. And um, similar to what we've heard with other commodities talking about their reference prices and maybe the ARC PLC Title One programs, um, those those prices um, today and those loan rates today just uh, haven't kept pace with. You know, with the pace of um, the cost of inputs for producing the crops. And so that's something that we're looking at here um, at the Sugar Alliance. We're also sort of charting out what costs have done. Of course, the last couple of years, they've, they've really ratcheted up with, with inflation. Um, that's digging into producer margins. So despite the fact that we might see um, prices, futures prices going up, those costs have been going up at a faster rate. So Ultimately, what the producer sees is, um, you know, uh, tightened margins and uh, having to tighten their belts, which is um, obviously something that everybody is looking at the farm bill um, for trying to see uh, if the programs can be strengthened or not. And that's uh, ultimately going to come down to uh, you know, likely a funding decision that we're, we're still waiting to see how that plays out. But certainly um, at the Sugar Alliance, we're looking to see uh, a strong sugar program, um, hopefully Congress will be able to strengthen programs uh, as well um, for sugar, as well as other commodities. And let me just note again, um, another sort of underpinning of, uh, of sugar uh, in the sugar support in the farm bill is the uh, is having a strong crop insurance program. Um, I'm sure a lot of the other commodity groups that have been on here have talked about that. And certainly sugar cane and sugar beet producers are um, purchasers of crop insurance. And while they don't necessarily buy up coverage as much as some other commodities do. Uh, I think that's mainly a factor of the fact uh, of the of of the point that some of those commodity uh, offerings on, under crop insurance um, are not quite as suited to sugarcane and sugar beet production. For example, we don't have a revenue product um, like a lot of other commodities do. And so I think um, certainly if we're looking to see improvements in, in that underlying safety net, it would be both in affordability, but also in terms of uh, applicability and efficiency and effectiveness with respect to those crop insurance offerings for sugar cane and sugar beet. Lots to keep an eye on as this policy conversation heats up. This has been Dr. Rob Johansson, the Director of Economics and Policy Analysis at the American Sugar Alliance. Dr. Johansson, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much, Mike. Take care. And folks, you can learn more at sugaralliance.org to read about what the Sugar Alliance is working for. And stay tuned. We're going to talk with our friends from Cenex here when AOA returns.
Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. On the first Wednesday of every month, our friends from the National Corn Growers Association join us here on AOA for a segment we call The Monthly Grind. This month, we spoke with Sarah McKay about Consider Corn Challenge 4. We've had three today, and these are open innovation contests that really look to establish novel uses for corn. So you think bio-based materials, products, and technologies that can utilize corn that don't currently today. So we're really looking at placing uh, things like petrochemicals, products that can be more environmentally friendly, but also grind more corn. This year, the challenge is actually up to the prize pool to $250,000 for our Consider Corn Challenge for winners. Cool quarter of a million dollars, Sarah. That's impressive. Tell us, where can folks go to learn more about the Consider Corn Challenge? They can visit our website at ncga.com slash new uses. Feel free to, to reach out to me at mckay at ncga.com. And I'm always happy to have that conversation or come even speak to grower producer groups about the work that we're doing here at National Corn. Tune in on June 7th for the next Monthly Grind right here on AOA. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. It's the most important race of the year. The one where winning is everything. Where the decisions you make now can and will define your entire season. The yields you're dreaming of are either won here or lost here. This is Corn Sprint 2023. You win it with Biopath, a biological fertilizer complement from the Mosaic Company. Specially formulated to make nutrients more available during the most critical uptake periods and strengthen root systems for better absorption. It's the kind of edge that gets your crops all the way to the finish line with greater yield potential, greater return on your fertilizer investment, and just plain old greatness. 
So win the corn sprint. Include Biopath in your early season fertilizer application. Contact your local retailer or visit cornsprint.com. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA. A solid lubricants plan and maintenance schedule can help you reduce downtime and extend the life of your equipment. With the summer months right around the corner, now is a good time to reevaluate your products and start a maintenance routine to keep your equipment running smoothly all season. With us today to talk about the importance of having the right lubricants for your operation is Mike Crane. He's a district manager with CHS. And Mike, thanks for joining us today. Mike, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. How can farmers be proactive about equipment maintenance? Well, Mike, that's a great question because being proactive with your equipment, one, it's going to save you money down the road, prevent issues that you might otherwise incur. And with regular maintenance and the use of good quality or high quality premium products, you can greatly reduce any chance of those type of things occurring. One of the things that I like to recommend when I talk with customers about a good maintenance practice is taking oil samples or testing your oil. It's similar to like a soil test that a farmer might be using, but this is for an engine oil or a transmission or a hydraulic system that takes an analysis of the sample of the used oil, which provides valuable information about the condition of the equipment. What we'll look at is the overall stats on the oil. How's it holding up? How many hours do you have on that piece of equipment? Some guys will run drain intervals out to 100 hours. Some guys run them out 350 or 400. That can be the determining factor based on that lube analysis if you're going too far. So one of the things we'll look at is besides the stats, we want to look for dirt, Mike, the ingression of dirt that might get into that oil uh, through the air filter. Most people don't think of air filters as related to oil, but if that dirt gets in there and doesn't get captured, it doesn't take long to ruin an engine. Other things we'll look at will be viscosities. We want to make sure that that oil is staying within that viscosity range as it designed to be. Uh, 12.5 to 16.3 centistokes would be for a 1540. If we're seeing it going higher, we know that we're running the oil a little too far and maybe it's starting to oxidize and thicken up. Likewise, on the other side, if we see it starting to thin out, we want to look for things like fuel dilution. Issues like that, that can also harm an engine if not caught in time or not corrected once caught. And a loop scan kits are a great way to check all that proactive approach to your equipment maintenance. You can check whether it's an engine, like I said, or a transmission or hydraulic system. Uh, it allows you to check all those different components. It will give you a history if you keep sampling the same piece of equipment each year or each oil change, which is what I would recommend for an oil analysis. It will give you a history. So we get a snapshot in time each time we take that sample so we can see if we're starting to develop trends, maybe negatively, or maybe the option to look at extended drain intervals through an oil analysis program. And the kits are readily available. They're through your local Cenex dealer. What is important when evaluating a lubricant program? Well, one of the things that we're seeing now, Mike, is with these engines running uh, high common pressure rail systems and the exhaust systems that we have on them, these engines today operate at much higher temperatures than they did in the past. And a real great way to look at improving performance is looking at synthetic lubricants. Uh, you're going to get the most out of your lubricant and your equipment by switching to synthetics. The advantage of synthetics, it, it works in both hot and cold environments to minimize seasonal issues that, you know, farmers may face. Of course, I'm always going to tell you, always refer to your OEM, your original equipment manufacturer, for making sure you get the right specification, the right viscosity for your equipment. Now, if we need to cross-reference an OEM fluid, your local Cenex retail location can help you with that. Uh, to make an informed decision on what you need to be using in your equipment. Keep in mind, if we're talking Cenex lubricants here, all of our products are tested and proven to meet or exceed OEM specifications. The last thing I like to throw out there, we have a site called the Cenex Equipment Lookup Tool. It's available to the public on Cenex.com. 
It makes it really easy for a farmer to see and know what products he should be using. You can break it down by agricultural equipment, construction, cars, or trucks. It's a great tool. Mike, when we're thinking about the different products that are available out there, what key products should farmers add to their maintenance program? Well, first and foremost, should be diesel engines, like I mentioned earlier, Mike. And it's because of the hotter conditions that they have to operate in internally and sometimes externally. Diesel engine oils like our full synthetic Maxtron EnviroEdge or our synthetic blended Senex Maxtron DEO will help provide up to seven times more shear stability than other oils, meaning that the oil is going to protect for more hours between drain intervals. Also, it helps resist oxidation and provides better protection for your equipment. Now, if we're talking tractor hydraulic fluids, our Maxtron THF fluid is essential to keeping your equipment parts lubricated, helps reduce friction, and operates in the widest range, both cold and hot, to keep that equipment operating in the coldest of days and hottest weather. THFs minimize downtimes by reducing friction and providing superior protection to your equipment pumps, gears, brakes, transmission, and hydraulic systems. It promotes longevity in your equipment, and it's a good way to uh, keep your products in top-notch condition. Mike, when we're talking about greases, and you know, this one gets overlooked all too often, a long-lasting water-resistant multi-purpose grease is needed for farm equipment. It protects against rust and corrosion and severe conditions by sealing out contaminants. That's a benefit of grease. Some of those examples is our most popular grease is Senex uh, Blue Guard 500, or a Cenex Red Protect XT. Before incorporating a grease into your maintenance routine, please review the grease compatibility of what you've been using with what you may be moving to. Keep in mind that sometimes polyureas don't play well with other greases like lithium complexes, which are by far the most popular greases. Mike, tell us, where can people go to learn more? Start with Cenex.com to learn more about our portfolio of Cenex lubricants and how they can benefit your operation. Also, don't hesitate to reach out to your local Cenex dealer to learn more. Our thanks to Mike Crane, District Manager with CHS, for joining us today talking about the importance of lubrication. Mike, thanks for joining us. Mike, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening, everybody. Tune in tomorrow. Analyst Joe Camp of Comstock Investments will break down the market. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Get on board. The water is open. It's time to go boating and fishing and leave stress in our wake. Feel the wind as we ride and a fish on the line. Reel in our first catch and feel the sun at our backs. It's get out on the water season. It's time to get on board. Find out where to get on board near you. Visit Take Me Fishing and Discover Boating to learn more. And please recreate responsibly. Get on board. Get on board. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. 
They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.